Um, I think for me, uh, today's going to be a little bit of that, actually. Um, it's going to be a little bit different because I'm going to spend kind of the first half of our time doing a little bit of an update and just to kind of um, just pave a pathway for where we're headed um, over the next really six months. It's going to kind of take us through to the spring. Also pretending that COVID is not going to ruin all of that, okay? So just, so just like give, give that a little bit of flexibility in your mind because uh, obviously everything could change as of tomorrow. But right now it's still really important to plan and pray and work and, and move towards things that we want to continue to do as a church. And I think if we're honest, and a lot of the update part is going to come out of this today. I think if we're honest, no church is going to look the same once COVID is done with it. Our church is not going to look the same when we come out the other end of this thing. And a lot of people mourn that, but I actually, as a hopeful optimist, am celebrating that. Because I don't think the church should be allowed to stay the same as it was, especially in North America, before COVID. I don't see the church before pre-COVID as the normal that we should return to because the church pre-COVID wasn't actually equipping and making disciples to go out and engage culture with the hope of the gospel. Okay, now that's a huge statement. That's not all churches. That's not everyone, of course. But I'm actually thankful that COVID has given us a chance to at least prune some things away, re-envision other things, and actually plan and strategize for what it looks like for the church to be equipped and mobilized to actually go out and be disciples everywhere that we are. And if you've been around for any time, you know that this is always the song I'm singing. But this has given us, as a church, an opportunity to actually practice some of the things that we have been preaching. Okay? So a lot of the update is going to kind of drive at that. It's going to come, kind of, kind of move us towards that. Uh, and then I'm going to preach a little... Um, a little bit from Ephesians 4 to kind of frame it. So I'm going to do things backwards. Usually like I'll preach and then I'll be like, and here's an update. You know, conversations with Pastor Dustin. Uh, this time I'm actually going to hit you with the update stuff. And then I'm going to backfill it by preaching at it. Okay, you with me on that? Good. All right, let me pray. Father, thank you so much that we can gather. Thank you that we are here. Uh, Lord, I know things look different. Um, sometimes we've grown accustomed to uh, the room being full. Um, as the metric of success in our churches. And Lord, we know that that's not the case. And so we just pray that even today, right now, as we are here, that we would uh, meet with you and that you would speak and that you would do what you want in us and through us today as we walk back out those double doors, um, that we would be transformed by you and your word. And we love you. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so real quick, just to give you an idea of some of the series that we're going to be uh, looking at over the next several months. First and foremost, we're doing a series starting at the beginning of November called Stories Jesus Told. And that's just walking through. We're going to do that for about seven weeks. And we're going to be looking specifically at kind of the seven main parables of the kingdom that Jesus told. And that's going to allow us to really get at, um, again, just, just the gospel and the outworking of the gospel. And kind of what Jesus calls his disciples into and then how we live that out. And that's going to impact everything. It's going to impact our identity and stewardship and what we have and where we are and the mission of God and all of that. So I'm really, really excited about that series. And what's really cool about this series and the next two that I'm going to tell you about is that we're actually doing these series in collaboration with two other churches. One of them is Jeff Wright at Redemption Project in Pierrefonds and Church 21 downtown with Dwight Bernier and, and their elders. And the reason why we're doing that is because of all the stuff I just said. No church is going to be able to be in a silo anymore and be like, we just got to build this thing because we can just hire anybody we want and we've got all these gifts kind of wrapped up in our thing. We're going to need to really start thinking through what does it look like to collaborate with like-minded churches for the good of our city. And so as, as I kind of have talked to other pastors, specifically Dwight and Jeff, it was like, man, we, we're feeling the same things. Like I think we should just preach the same things. Right? So I'm still going to be here. I'm still going to be preaching. I'm still going to be pastoring you through the word as your pastor. Uh, but it's also going to be happening elsewhere, which is really cool. So it gives us an opportunity to think through how is the church at large being equipped as we walk through similar texts. And it also gives us an, an opportunity to think through like we're a part of something bigger than just like the 12 of us in the room, right? That, that's encouraging, is, is it not? It is for me, right? Okay, um, so that's the first series. Next, um, we're going to be starting this in January. And this flows out of a lot of what we talked about last week, um, especially the work and person of the Holy Spirit. We're going to be walking through a series called Equipped, uh, The Spirit and His Gifts. Uh, I heard a lot of feedback from last Sunday um, about how encouraging and challenging and just kind of, I mean, different it was for many of us that come from traditions that really don't give the spirit 
um, a lot of focus, biblically. And then practically, what does that look like? Well, that's what that series is going to do. We're going to look through the outworking of the work of the Spirit in our personal discipleship, but also in the gifting and how the church is equipped with gifts by the Spirit to go out and live out the mission that we're called to. Okay, so I'm really looking for, so I know some of you are excited, like, oh, was today going to be more about the Spirit? It's like, well, hang tight, let's get to January, and then we'll have an entire month to do that together. And that series also is going to be very practical in the sense that we're going to be leaving a lot of space to practice, discern, figure out gifts, and actually how do we do that well as the church corporately, okay? Third and finally, this is going to take us to Easter, a series called Go Therefore. We're going to be looking at key texts from the book of Acts. Looking specifically at mission in the book of Acts. And that's going to take us all the way to, to Easter, um, Resurrection Sunday. Um, and we're going to enjoy doing that series all throughout kind of the winter into the spring. And now that series is going to also be a lot of building on what we're going to be doing throughout the equipping series. Looking at the gifts. And we're going to be looking specifically at how the early church practiced specific rhythms. And then how we can also practice those well and do that faithfully. All right, so that's where we're headed. That's kind of just an idea of the series and the topics and the things we're going to be doing on a Sunday, like from here, okay? Um, next, serving. I know I've been keeping this in front of you um, as far as just like serving, pulling this off. Like Matt said, it's like we're pulling this off. And this takes a lot of man and woman power, takes a lot of energy, takes a lot of planning and strategizing. So it's very important um, for us to understand that we are a church that is not about like 100 people watching a few people do something good, right? It's about all of us engaging and doing this. And, and again, if you smile, if you can show up and be present, you've already done 90% of the work. You with me on that? Um, so there's going to be lots of things coming up that we're going to, going to need people serving. Um, there should be a second slide here that's going to show you. Or it should, yeah. So again, this is just an example. What we have done is we've created a page on our website, which we're going to start using a lot more. Caleb's doing a lot of hard work getting our website ready to go and updated and launched. So he's killing it. Uh, so thank Caleb from afar and give him a virtual hug. Um, but what we've done is we've set up a URL on our website, which is just reachmtl.ca slash serve. And there's a form right there. So any, any, any of you that are interested in serving or want to see what roles we are looking to kind of help um, just kind of strengthen right now, that's how you do that. Okay? So check it out and we'll get you kind of like onboarded. Um, and right now, like orientation in different roles might just mean like 10 minutes before you start. Thanks for coming. Here's how you do it. Do it now. Right? Uh, because <laughs> that's just like what we're rolling with right now. And so we're really on mission together, right? Like it just feels more like a missions trip than like, but I didn't do three years of seminary. It's like, well, you don't need to, to smile and say hi to people, right? Like, so that's, that's what we're going to try to do is just really get our head wrapped around how do we all serve together. Third, um, a little bit of a giving update. We're going to be sending out, so usually quarterly, we send like a giving update uh, for anybody who does give to our church to let you know where you're at on your annual kind of thing. So that's coming. We're going to get those out to you soon. Uh, but just to give you a bit of an update financially, obviously with COVID and everything not being normal, um, we're a little bit behind. We're lagging a little bit from where we should be projected in the year. Um, so again, about six weeks behind. And if you don't know, um, I externally fundraise, right? So I, I have a support team that contributes tens of thousands of dollars to our church every year that don't come here. Um, and I do that so that we can actually make budget and make this thing happen. But the goal for us as a church is to one day, at some point, which is very difficult in Quebec, to become a self-sustainable church where we're actually internally giving and we don't need to rely on external um, fundraising and donations. Now, the reason why I bring this in front of you is because it's what pastors should be doing. And I know some of us come from traditions where money is not talked about from here because we've made it some kind of strange non-profit hidden thing behind closed doors. And ignored everything Jesus talks about as far as money and finances and stewardship. So if that makes you uncomfortable, welcome to Reach Montreal. It's always going to make you uncomfortable. Jesus, a quarter of the sermons Jesus preached in some way came back to money and stewardship. So imagine I got up once a month and preached about money. That would be on par with Jesus, okay? But I do it less than that, but I am every year going to be coming back to, um, hey, I need to pastor you away from the radical consumerism and the individualism and the selfishness that culture is going to preach at you from Monday to Saturday. So it's very important to pastor you towards that. So there's a few reasons why you don't give. Number one, there's financial stressors and you can't give. And that is not something that pastorally is going to be like, very disappointing, penance for you, right? That's just life. 
Some of us have lost jobs. Some of us have really needed to, to really stretch over this, this season. So that's one reason we felt this. Um, second reason is you and I don't understand the gospel implications on stewardship and money. That, that's also true. Sometimes the last thing that is saved is our wallet when it comes to our relationship with Jesus. So I would encourage you, if it's just kind of like, I'm still not tracking with this, I don't really understand. Uh, we did a series called Money Talks back in the spring. Go back, listen to those sermons, and then I would love to have follow-up conversations with you. Okay? Because stewardship, including our money, is an outworking of the gospel. It's not disconnected from it. So it's going to be very important for me to keep that in front of you. Okay? On that note, though, this is exciting because... We all, like every nonprofit and churches in particular, are always looking for platforms on how we can like encourage giving, but then not lose like thousands of dollars in fees, uh, which we do. Like every year we pay thousands of dollars in fees just so that you can like sit on your couch and text $100 to us, right? Um, so that, that's a reality. What we have done is we have actually found a new platform. And it's called Simply K. Now, Simply K is actually a Montreal-based, originally, um, company that was started for nonprofits with no fees. Like, which is not heard of, by the way, okay? Like, it's just not. Usually it's like 2%, 3%, 5% taken off the top immediately of any gift that we receive. Simply K does not charge any percentage on gifts given to the nonprofits. Instead, they're actually funded by tips. So they trust that generous people who are giving, every once in a while would be like, let's all simply K five bucks, you know, that kind of thing. But instead of that being an afterthought of the nonprofit getting like leftovers, they actually allow for nonprofits and churches to get 100% of the funds that are donated. Um, so we have that live on our website. So I would encourage each, uh, all of us, if we give online uh, via text, don't give via text anymore and instead use this. Okay, so it's a little, it's one extra step for you to go to our website, reachmtl.ca slash give, and actually do it that way. I love being able to text and give too, but there's going to be a fee charged for that, right? So Simply K is the way that we're going to um, really try to maximize some of the things that we're, we're doing financially and make sure that we get 100% of the gifts that are given to us as a church, okay? So any questions, again, follow up with me there. Last on finances and a bit of an update. As of next week, we're going to be starting a four-week campaign uh, called Reach Canada. Uh, I thought the name was good. I didn't come up with it. Uh, I thought we probably should be a part of it, right? Um, but it's called the Reach Canada Initiative, and it's actually being led by Acts 29 Canada. And there's seven different church plant projects that are happening across our nation. Um, and the goal is to get them $6,000 per project. And so the goal is to, over the four weeks, to have all churches in Canada give towards the Reach Canada initiative and raise a total of $42,000 um, for that. So um, we are a part of that network. And so this is an opportunity for us to give as well, um, over and above what we normally do to our local church, to actually now be doing something nationally. And so over the next four weeks, there's going to be videos each week showing you um, those projects. What, what's actually going to be happening across the country. And it's going to give us an opportunity to hear real stories, see people. Uh, Jeff and Jill and Pierrefonds are one of them. So that, that's exciting that we actually get to be a part of that, which we already are, right? Um, and so this is going to give us an opportunity uh, to, um, to engage something at a, national, um, at a national level. And here's why this is important. Most churches are kind of like retreating right now and like licking their wounds and being like, oh, COVID, it's ruined us. We'll never be the same. Um, Acts 29 churches are going, but wait, we have an amazing opportunity to plant churches right now because people are in need. Let's plant churches, right? And I, I just love that kind of like faithful optimism as we move out into weird places in weird times. Uh, and we look historically, the church, like in comfortable times and in comfortable places, the church has not thrived. Are you with me on that? So, so here we are as a, having a, an opportunity to actually thrive in a space where most people are not thriving. And we have real opportunities to serve and give towards those ends and towards those projects. So that's why I wanted to get in in front of you. Uh, no obligation, of course, to give to this at all. But I would just want you to prayerfully over the next four weeks, as we hear stories, as you get to see what projects are happening, please just prayerfully think through uh, whether God would call you to give to some of those projects. All right, almost done the update part. Next, Sunday, October 25th, which is two weeks from today. We are going to be having our AGM or our ABM or our CBM, whatever we want to call it, business time. Um, our church business meeting, okay, or our AGM. And here's who it's for, okay, this is important. Uh, usually AGMs are for active members. This year we want to invite all prospective members too, mainly because 
you started the process of membership over almost a year ago, and you should be members already. Um, and COVID and all sorts of weirdness hasn't allowed us to continue that process as members. And so what we're going to be doing is we're going to be inviting you to that meeting. Unfortunately, it will have to be on Zoom. Boo. But fortunately, we still get to have the meeting. Yay. Um, and so the reason, one of the biggest reasons why we also want to invite prospective members to this meeting is because the agenda of the meeting is to actually present the elder candidates that we have walked with for the last year through the process of interviews and, and, and theological stuff and all sorts of relational stuff and leadership stuff. Uh, and it's, it's giving us an opportunity to finally come to you as a church and say we have found two excellent candidates uh, for eldership to help shoulder the load with me as we pastor and elder our church. And you can start to pray for those candidates. It's Steve Melser and John D'Souza. Okay, and as a non-member, as a prospective member, of course, you don't get to vote at this point, but we do want you in the room, the Zoom room. Um, ugh, that's getting so tiring. Uh, we do want you in that meeting because you're looking at the other shepherds and pastors that are going to be really helping oversee and bring about health to our church as we continue over the next months and years. Good? Cool. Uh, second to last, city groups. I'm going to preach at this in a few minutes. Um, but city groups have been something that have struggled over this period because of all the weirdness. <laughs> and I, I just want to say I met with our city group leaders um, this week. And I'm very encouraged by some of the people, the men and women that God has given us as a church to help lead our communities into mission and into service and into growth. And so we're going to be just nothing new, nothing radically different. But there's going to be some changes in how we approach city group. And obviously COVID restricts that in some ways because we still can't like be together physically. So we're going to have to tolerate a little bit of Zoom. But we also are going to try to be switching some things up to keep things a little bit more engaging. Break up some of the staleness that we've all been feeling in that. Um, and also have like different study topics and that kind of thing that are not connected to Sundays. So that you actually have an opportunity to grow and, and investigate and work through things that are actually happening on the ground in the life of your city group. Okay, and then the second thing we're going to be working through over the next few months is also decreasing the size of our city groups. The reason for that is because there's different, I'm going to preach at this in a sec, there's different contexts of community in life. And a group of 12 to 15 people, there's a certain level, as the size increases, the level of intimacy and vulnerability decreases. And the vision for city groups is that it really is our bread and butter as a church. Like this, this is never really going to be like the sexiest thing on the planet. You know, like when people come, just like, wow, Reach Montreal, their Sunday thing is so like, <laughs> it's amazing. It's like, well, this isn't really what we try to put all of our, our time and energy into. We really do want, like, our city groups to be the place where discipleship is happening, where prayer is being practiced, where spiritual disciplines are being learned, where evangelism is being learned and equipped to go out. And, so so that's, that's the thing. And, and I think that over the last year with COVID and everything else going on, our city groups haven't... Um, been able to or been equipped to actually pivot and practice some of those rhythms. So we're going to be putting a lot of time and energy into making that happen. So if you are currently in a city group, look out for that, pray about that. If you are not yet in a city group, we also have an opportunity for you to just go to our website, fill out a form, and we will do the hard work of getting you plugged into a city group that makes sense, um, that makes sense geographically or relationally or whatever it is to get you plugged into that. Okay? Sound good? Yeah, it does. Last but not least, DNA groups. Um, this is something we've talked about for a long time and haven't been able to pull the trigger on for lots of reasons. And I don't need to get into it because it's mainly my frustration and not yours. But our, our DNA groups are very important when it comes to the community aspect of that real deep vulnerability and intimacy stuff. If we're honest as Christians, as followers of Jesus, the, the real stuff of life isn't going to happen in like conversations with a dozen people. It didn't with Jesus. Jesus had very different conversations with Peter, James, and John than he did with the 12, than he did with the 72, than he did with the crowds. And that was on purpose because context matters. That levels of community actually matter. Now, DNA groups are affinity-based groups so that we can really get deep into the interior kind of stuff of our heart and really look at the outworking of the gospel where it matters most. And that means stuff that we're actually struggling with. 
Coming out to like a small group in a city group setting and being like, yeah, everything's great. I can answer questions. That doesn't get at some of the real day-to-day stuff that we're working through. Anxiety and mental and emotional health and heart level stuff and conflict and and purity and, and different things that as men and women are just coming at us as followers of Jesus. DNA groups are where that can happen. They exist for that reason. And some of our DNA groups have, that have started in the last little bit are really, really finding this to be a serious lifeline for them right now. Especially with the isolation, the social distancing, and that kind of thing. So I would just encourage you, if that's something you're interested in, I can uh, tell you more about it. There's a little brief kind of description on our website. And there's also a form for you to be able to fill out so we can get you plugged in. The good thing about DNA groups is that it's relationships that drive it. So you're not just going to get like stuck with a couple strangers who's like, oh, who's this guy? Who's this girl? Um, you decide who's in your DNA group. It's like, well, here's two, two brothers that I already walk with. We're going to start a DNA group. And then we're able to hand you a packet and be like, go for it, right? So there's no guru. There's no coach. There's no pastor. I'm not showing up in a robe, like, you know, blessing you three as you work through stuff. I'm not doing it. It's about the three of you actually working through stuff as a DNA group. Ladies, same deal. Ladies with ladies, men with men, and walking through that stuff together, okay? So that's the good thing. So... I wanted to make that clear so you're not like, if I go fill that out and then I find out I'm in a group with Caleb, I'm going to be really angry, right? Just kidding. I would love to be in a group with Caleb. All right. Good? Update done? I know that was fast. I know that was a lot. Let's preach into that now for the last, oh boy, few minutes that we have. All right? Ephesians 4. Now, we did a series on Ephesians once upon a time. I think it was about a year ago. And if you remember anything about Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church in Ephesus, um, which is very similar to our cultural milieu. And it was a very like avant-garde, very multicultural, kind of like uh, pluralistic city. And it was a harbor city, and there was all sorts of like commerce and business. It was a a rocking, like really happening city. And, And the church that Paul planted there, he's writing the letter to the church in Ephesus to remind them of some of the things that they need to be reminded of. And all throughout the first few chapters of Ephesians, we see that Paul is just hitting the gospel. He's just coming at them, reminding them of the gospel. Reminding them about the importance of theology and the reminder of who they are and how the gospel changes our identity before it changes our activities. But then there's this key hinge in Ephesians 4 where now Paul gets into the so what. Right? And all of our like, you know, type A administrative people, it's like, we love vision, it's good, Like, but we need to get to the so what. It's like, give me bullet points, right? Give me actual practical ramifications of this stuff. And that's exactly what Paul does in chapter 4 onwards. And here's how he starts. I, therefore, a prisoner for serving the Lord, urge you, appeal to you to walk. And that word is live. to, To lead a life. This is a better translation, actually. To lead a life worthy of your calling. For you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Be patient with each other. Making allowance for each other's faults because of your love. Make every effort, strive, like work at it to keep yourselves united in the spirit. Binding yourselves together with peace. For there is one body and one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope for the future. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. who is over all, in all, and living through all. However, he has given each one of us, so he goes from the collective to the individual, a special gift through the generosity of Christ. Okay. That's it, right? Yep. Okay. So he starts with, here's what we all share. And God God does the unity and the oneness thing. Same calling, right? So he said the same call, no, no different callings. We're all called to walk and live with humility and gentleness and, and peace and bearing with one another in love. So much of our Christian life is being in proximity with each other as brothers and sisters who have the same Lord, who have the same spirit, who have the same baptism, same faith, but are radically different in every other way. You with me on that? Age group, cultural background, experiences, religious backgrounds, all sorts of differences that according to the world should actually divide us. But it's the shared oneness of our call and the fact that Christ has saved us that brings us into a place of humility, of unity, of peace, 
of being reconciled with each other and bearing with one another in love. I love how, like, real the Bible is in this stuff. Like, it's literally put up with each other sometimes. It's like, like there's going to be times where it's going to be like, I don't, I don't like you very much right now, but I'm going to put up with you because we're, we're brothers and sisters. It's like, okay, because I do love you, and okay, yeah, I guess I do, you know. And then you start, like, working through the unity piece of what we do share. And then Paul reminds them of their identity, same testimony, same family. And if you notice, the Trinity was there too, right? We saw the Spirit, the Lord, and the Father, all at work right there, that were actually bought and paid for and brought into relationship with this community of Father, Son, and Spirit. And then he turns the corner and starts talking to each of us. Okay, so when he starts and says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you, don't in our Western thinking think me. That's plural in Greek. It's you collectively. It's you plural. But then he does turn the corner and hinge on, but each of us have been given something to contribute to the whole. And you've heard me preach before about different symbols that are used of the church. Um, none of them are symbols that we see today uh, that are used of the church very often. Uh, it's used, we see family and we see body. Right? And the body is body parts only do what body parts do. You with me on that? I had to shingle a section of my roof this week and I realized what body parts are sore because they did what they had to do, right? While I was on the roof squatting for eight hours doing shingles. Okay? Um, but, but body parts do what they do, they don't do other things. Family, same deal. Family members have different roles in the family collectively. And we also don't get to choose our family, for better or for worse. Amen? Thanksgiving and Christmas are usually the times where we're reminded that, oh yeah, I didn't get to choose these guys, right? Uh, but I love them, and I'm, I'm, I'm part of them. And that's exactly the same thing with the spiritual family, that we don't get to choose our church family, right? We, I know we think we do, because we can just like church, church hop and run around and look for a better community. Uh, but it's just kind of like this weird chasing after something that is not going to be realized, unless we actually lean in and realize that we are called into the family that we're called into. We're saved into the family we're, we're saved into, right? So here we are. And the whole point of Paul starting there, and this is why this term is really important, is to talk about the church. And that's what I want to spend the rest of our time on. Looking specifically at what the church actually is. Who the church actually is. Now usually in the New Testament, when you see the word church, you can think about lots of things, right? A building, an event, a place, an experience, content. It's like, oh, I like my church because of the content, or whatever that is, right? So you think, start thinking about church, and lots of definitions come to mind. But in the New Testament, it's the word ecclesia. Ecclesia. It's where English gets ecclesiology, right? The idea of the church. Now here's what that means. That word actually means called out ones. Those who are called out of private into the public domain together. They are actually called out of spaces that would divide us and we're called into a common space, a public domain in which we are united. And that includes the gathered church and it includes the scattered church. Okay, so every time that word is used, it's always referring to a group of real people. So our church, even though we have online things, there's really no such thing as an online church. Are you with me on that? Because an ecclesia is a called out group of real people that are really together in a real place and in real time. That's an ecclesia. That's sharing our life together. Actually being together. Obviously COVID has threatened a lot of this. But it's so important that we still fight to, to get this. To do this because there's something about the nature of the church that is it's flesh and blood. Because we worship a God who actually became flesh and blood. Not just theoretically, not just kind of like online. It's like, oh, good content, and then I go about my day. There's something really real about the ecclesia of the church. And as I reminded you, notice who Paul is speaking to. Paul is speaking to the entire church. Plural. So it would be easy if he just said, hey, pastors. Hey, staff. Hey, leaders. Hey, professional Christians. Make sure that you stick with your calling. Like, make sure you do what you're supposed to do. He doesn't start there. He actually says, you, plural, everyone, all of us who would say we're followers of Jesus or we're like still trying to figure Jesus out, but we're moving towards Jesus. That's what we're doing. He's talking to all of us. So think team. He's talking to the team. He's not just like singling people out and being like, you know, the captain of the team or the all-stars on the team. He's talking to the whole team, saying the whole body. And when I say team, I don't mean committee. 
I don't mean bored. I don't mean city hall. I don't mean coworkers or task force. I mean, I mean team. Because all of those things can be non-relational. All of those things can happen and be very cold. All of those things can happen and be task-oriented, full of power plays and passive aggression, right? But teams, that's not the case. Because working together as a team actually moves you towards whether you win or you lose. You don't have a competing agenda on a team. Because if you do, you're not going to succeed as a team. And so the language here of the plural piece is actually team. And it's really crazy when you think about teams today. We're all on teams or we've been on teams in some, some capacity. Right now at work, we're on different teams at work. But when you go through scripture, this kind of teamwork is everywhere. And we have our Western lens and our individualistic lens, so we don't see it very often, but it's everywhere. Right from the beginning of the first pages of Genesis, we see a team. Father, Son, and Spirit. We've just spent the last month talking about that team, that community, the oneness, but yet the distinction between them, the different roles and responsibilities that they do have, yet fully united. And then this team creates other little teams, man and woman, (laughs) to then be a team. Right, to actually go out and be fruitful and multiply and join in on the mission of the original team. And that's a community thing. And here's the point of all this, and here's what Paul's driving at. There's no one leader, no one person, no one gift, no one church that has all the necessary things to serve and equip and care. To serve and equip people and to care for our city. No church has it. And I think that in our Western mentality, we've tried to build a thing. In our thing, it's around our own thing, our own like little theology or our own experience or our own worship style or our own, you know, whatever, however the pastor dresses. Or we try to build these things thinking that this is going to be the thing and then it's like we're the ones to go out and really like, like reach the city. But what if that's not going to be how Quebec's reached at all? I think that's a rhetorical question because Quebec will not be reached by that. It will not be reached by building Christian silos and hoping that one day we'll train Christians on how to not actually live in a silo. That's not going to happen. So we have to work backwards because we have to look at equipping. We have to look at gifts again. And we, and we know this, right? We know this. We just don't practice it, if we're honest. Most of our Sunday experiences, most of our Christian programs, most of our Christian ministries, most of our thoughts about the church do not reflect how do we equip ordinary people to go out into all the spaces where they are in and be a witness to Jesus Christ. You know how we usually try to do that? We do a 12-week course on evangelism. Another method that is also not going to apprentice people to do the thing that we're intending to train them to do. So for us as a church, over the next several months, and as we pivot on this, as we start to think through collaborating, as we start to think about you being on the team, like, like actually in a significant place, not just kind of like, well, I, I greeted, that's, that's not important. It's like, that's important. Right, like all of these things are so important because they contribute to the whole. That's what Paul's driving at. And our Western church, I don't, I don't know why. We know this, don't practice it. Because our Western church model, what we've done is we've hired professional Christians to do the work of ministry. We've made ministry a professional and centralized activity. Instead of a mobile and diversified use of gifts to go out and serve everywhere that we are. And biblically, we don't really have a lot of legs to stand on when that's what we practice. And then we wonder why disciples aren't being made. And we wonder why we don't feel more confident with evangelism and addressing cultural issues and why we don't have a better handle on, on, our, on, on scripture. It's like, well, because we haven't really been trained to do it. You with me on that? So, so, so this is going to be what we're going to be driving at. And to hire Christians to try to train the church for the work of ministry... And then stick them in an office for 40 hours a week, surrounded by other Christians, what's the result? Well, the result is that the success or failure of the church rides on that person. That pastor, those staff, those paid personnel, and those leaders. That's not the kind of church that we see in the New Testament at all. So this is not to say, though, that some people aren't hired to do ministry in a vocational capacity. I thank God that I have that job. I love my job. But not everybody's wired for this to be their job. Okay, I love that this is vocationally what I do. And this is what Paul goes on to say. And he actually says, but some people, watch this, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, and the pastor teachers 
That's one thing. To equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we attain maturity. Okay, so we'll stop there. Notice that Paul says, you're all gifted to be a part of this whole. However, some are appointed in official vocational roles to do what? Enjoy that? No. To equip the saints, which in Greek is literally the holy ones, the ones who are called out, the ones who already know this holy God, equip the saints for the work of ministry. So if the vocational guys and girls are not doing the work to equip the saints for the work of ministry, this baby is not going to work. Amen? It's not going to produce the results that we prayerfully want it to produce. And the key word there is the equipping piece, that they actually equip the saints for the work of ministry. Do you feel equipped to go and do ministry everywhere you are? That's the goal. That's the heart of our church, that we're always working to equip you to go out and engage everywhere you are with the gospel in a way that's effective, in a way that actually gives you confidence that you can be infilled by the Spirit, use the gifts that the Spirit has given you to go out into the world everywhere where you are, looking uniquely like you, but pointing to the uniqueness of the Father. That's what we want. That's the hope. Um, the word for equipping is also used to like mend a net. The Greek is really deep. It's like qualifying something. It's strengthening something, which is really cool imagery. It's like the job of anyone that's in ministry in a vocational capacity is to strengthen the church. To get the church ready to catch a whole bunch of fish, right? To go out and actually be fishers of men and women. Now, when you hear the word ministry, what do you think about? That's, that's, that's really important. Because usually when you hear the word ministry, you think about what? Well, me, right? <laughs> think about pastors. You think about missionaries. You think about hired professionals that do ministry, Right? So I always struggle when someone's like, oh, what do you do? I usually say something really bizarre, especially if I'm talking to non-Christians. Because the second I say, like, pastor or whatever, they're like, a priest? You know, and then there's, like, all, all sorts of weirdness that I have to, like, work through, right? But you have a wife. And it's like, okay, let's start somewhere else, right? So, so I usually have to, like, start somewhere else. But I use all sorts of weird, weird terms to describe what I do. But when you hear the word ministry, what immediately do you think about? Well, the professionals, the ones who are hired to do stuff. That is not what this text or any other text says. The work of ministry, the word is actually the same word that we get servant from. That the church is to be equipped and strengthened to do works of service. That we're supposed to be able to actually understand that this is about serving one another first and foremost for the building up of the church. So that we can go and actually serve others outside the church. And so that that is the driving thing. So let me ask. Don't think about the church now, like collectively. Think about our church. What would Reach Montreal look like if we thought of ourselves as a team of servants? Okay, what would be the implications of that? What would that change? What would our church look like? Everything that makes up our church, our city groups, our DNA groups, when COVID's done, when we're actually engaging our community and serving in different places, uh, when we get here to gather, what would it look like if Reach Montreal was a team of servants? We were a relief team. Everywhere we were, we saw ourselves as a relief team. I think it would change lots of things. If the priority was serving each other and others. And Paul over in Philippians, he unpacks this and roots it right in Christ, right? Philippians 2, you know the text, says this. Don't be selfish. I just love scripture sometimes. It's just like, wait, but I'm not. It's like, yeah, you are. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others as better than yourselves. That's an easy one. Amen? Don't look out only for your own interests, but take interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. Everything, every day, church that you encounter in culture tells you that your life is about you and for you. Everything. This digital age also is just steroids in that. Our social media platforms, everything that comes at us and kind of like just tickles our consumeristic fancy, everything coming at you every day tells you and I that our life is about us and for us. And here's, here's, here's the caution. If we misunderstand ministry, we will misunderstand community. 
because we will make it about us. We will not actually live as a team of servants at all. We won't be a relief team because we'll look at everything existing to meet my needs, not as a way to go out and be mobilized to go meet others' needs. Okay, I'll give you a couple examples of how I think we've really messed up our version and our understanding of community. Number one, I think we've confused connectivity for community. Everything today is about connectivity. Social media is about connectivity. Yet, the most recent data is showing us that we're actually lonelier than ever. So connectivity can go way up, and isolation can still also go way up. And it is. We've confused Christian community for connectivity. And we can't. They're not the same. Connectivity and community are very different biblically when you look at them. Secondly, I think we've confused chemistry for community. We've done this with romantic relationships, right? It's all about chemistry. I don't know, our chemistry was just off. It was chem my chemistry was, uh, was just off, so divorce, or we broke up, or whatever. You know who I don't have chemistry with sometimes? My wife. <laughs> and then I have to fix it, because it's usually my fault. And then we get chemistry again, right? Chemistry is not this ever, like, present thing that just kind of floats around, and we need to, like, attain it. And community is not about chemistry. Because, again, it comes back to me, my personal preferences on chemistry. Being in Christian community, believe it or not, and this is crazy, doesn't mean that everyone in the church is going to be your BFF. There's going to be people in the church who are like, I would never be friends with them. But, but I'm friendly because, wow, we're brothers and sisters in this thing. Like, we have nothing in common. Like, I, I, I don't know. Usually it takes, by the way, the experts say it takes seven minutes to even get past nonsense into a meaningful conversation. Nowadays, we don't even spend seven minutes having conversation before we're like, this person's lame, Right? We don't, because we don't even like strive at community in a deep way. And the most, the most amazing experience, some of us have experienced it, is to have somebody that we think, there's no way I can be in community with this person. Give it enough time, you start to realize, I can't believe how much I love and appreciate this person. I didn't think we'd have anything in common. Yet we have the one thing that matters in common, and that is what drives us together. Our ages don't match, our racial and ethnic profiles don't match, our socioeconomic brackets don't match, our married and single status don't match. We have nothing in common that the world would say, you guys should be tight. Yet we are, because we're bound together by something more than just chemistry. Third and finally, I think we've confused consumerism for community. Consumerism and comfort. Community doesn't mean finding your ideal church. I know we're told that it is. Community doesn't mean finding a one-size-fits-all kind of Disney world all packaged into one thing so that in 90 minutes, my whole family can be served because there's ministries for everybody and there's programs that meet all of my needs and the pastor is like my little personal trainer who, who really just spiritually helps me meet my new personal best goals spiritually. Community is, is, community is not consumerism. Community is not about whether it's your thing or not because real community is messy and it's hard. And it comes with misunderstandings. And it comes with conflict. And it comes with just not hearing each other well sometimes. And it comes with apologies. And it comes with like actually training people and bringing them along. When it's actually just easier to do it yourself. Right? Everybody's been there? Community isn't easy. But we're called to it. Because it does something to us. So it's not about consuming. It's actually about coming and, and, and becoming. It's about being changed and renewed from within. So just hear me on this. True community when we look at it biblically and what Paul is doing here, true community is not built on connectivity, chemistry, consumerism, or comfort. But it's built on Christ and commitment. And I know we don't call people to commit to anything nowadays. Because leaving a church is as easy as canceling an Uber driver. And we just go and walk and go check out another one down the road. Give it enough time, you'll leave that one too. And this is our problem, is that we've become consumers. And I think the church should feel less like a restaurant and more like a family dinner. But it often just feels like a restaurant. It's like, well, just serve me. I just, I went, wow, the appetizer selection wasn't very good. Did you see how they greeted me at the door? You know, like, but it should feel more like a family dinner. Now, at a family dinner, and it's Thanksgiving, so we should be having family dinners, right? But most of us can't. That's okay. But at a family dinner, Christmas or Thanksgiving, who's not helping usually? It's the kids because they're running around with their cousins making each other cry. Okay? Right? Or it's, it's visitors. Sometimes you invite people into your family dinners. And it's like, no, no, yeah, let us serve you, right? But the family is the one, like, actually doing the work. There's always, like, a weird uncle 
who's wearing like track pants that shouldn't be worn out of the house, who's not helping, but it's because he didn't grow up and he's the anomaly. You with me on that? It's like it's the weird uncle who should be helping, but he's not. And he's like really just off looking like the kids. That is what our churches end up looking like when we sit in perpetual immaturity, and that's what Paul's calling out. He's saying that when this happens, we all grow. Like there's maturity. And then disciples are made and matured. And then the cycle starts all over again. We make new disciples, and then we mature existing ones. And then they go out and they make disciples and mature existing ones. Read the book of Acts, and we'll do it next year. It's always a team. Paul mentions 32 names that none of you will ever remember of people who are alongside him in ministry. Well, we always make it about Paul. Like, Paul, wow, what a church planter. What a gifted guy. It's like, no, no, Paul was gifted. Give him that. But he didn't do anything he did alone. <laughs> Nothing. 32 other names are mentioned as he con connected and traveled and planted and, and pastored. In Philippians 2, he, he, he calls um, Apaphroditus his brother, fellow worker, and soldier. That's tightness, right? Like, that's like, oh, man, like, we're in this together. I just love that. In fact, I, I read through Acts this week, and the only time that stood out to me where someone was on their own doing ministry was in Acts 8 when Philip is evangelizing the Ethiopian eunuch. And he's by himself, and it's weird. Like, it actually stands out because you're like, wait, Phil, where's everybody else, right? Like, where's your buddies? Because he's by himself. And it's like, well, that's weird. But you go through Acts, they're never alone because they're doing the work of ministry together. So, so just hear me. As we apply this and as we pray through this this week, as we go and as we get sent out to kind of think through everything that was shared. COVID or not, if we continue to build our churches on charisma and personalities, we'll end up with Christian celebrities and fans and not disciples. If we continue to build churches on buildings and places, we'll end up as property managers and janitors, not churches. If we continue to build our churches on theological fan clubs, We'll make clones and monoliths of ourself, believing that we can theologize in armchairs and from YouTube, and that that is what qualifies us to influence and lead. If we continue to build our churches on programs and experiences, we'll end up with consumers looking to be served and fed, and not disciples equipped to be on mission. And if we continue to build our churches on Sunday events and experiences that are super colossal and super tantalizing, We'll, go get, we'll get really good, and we already are, because Netflix tells you so. We'll, we'll get really good at attending and watching things instead of actually living and practicing things. And church, as your pastor lovingly, I don't want to allow us to go near any of that. I don't want to allow any of us to be spiritually obese, thinking that all we need is more information. That's all we need. We just need more information. If only Sunday had better content that suited my needs, then I would do better with Jesus. Brothers and sisters, that's a lie. We end up spiritually obese, feed me, feed me, feed me. I need more information and we never exercise any of our faith. So I love you. And that's why we're going to shift and pivot so that there's more space given to us being able to actually practice this. Joseph Hellerman in his old book, this is a long time ago, wrote a book called When the Church Was Family, uh, <laughs> which can tell you what his book is about. It's When the Church Was a Family. Here's what he says. Long-term interpersonal relationships are the crucible of genuine progress in the Christian life. Amen. People who stay also grow. People who leave do not grow. We all know people who are consumed with spiritual wanderlust. But we never get to know them very well because they cannot seem to stay put. They move along from church to church, ever searching for a congregation that will better satisfy their felt needs. Like trees repeatedly transplanted from soil to soil... These spiritual nomads fail to put down roots and seldom experience lasting and fruitful growth in their Christian lives. And he, and he closes. In the New Testament era, a person was not saved for the sole purpose of enjoying a personal relationship with God. Indeed, the phrase personal relationship with God is nowhere found in the Bible. According to the New Testament, a person is saved to community. In scripture, salvation is a community creating event. Talk about a prophetic word spoken pretty early. That speaks right to our moment. And I saw a recent survey that was done about three reasons, the three top reasons why people attend church. And it was to get closer to God, to give their kids a moral foundation, and to make me a better person. Now, I don't think any of those reasons are necessarily bad, but did you see what was missing in all of those answers? 
other people. <laughs> Community. Like, like, there's no sense of, like, others and being caught up in something bigger than ourselves and being called into a kingdom about the king. Like, like, none of that's there because it's all about, well, like, my, I mean, my needs. And we, we got to do better. We have to do better on this. I'll share one more quote and we'll pray and I'll get us out of here. We're going to have to cut a song there, Matt. Sorry, brother. Jay Kim in his book Analog Church, he says, We live in an impatient, shallow, isolated culture. The idea of patiently journeying with a community of Jesus followers and doing the hard work of cultivating and excavating depth in our relationships with God and one another and involving ourselves in the messy work of forging a meaningful community of diverse people doesn't seem like an attractive option. I love that he doesn't like sugarcoat that. He just says like this is not what we signed up for, right? And the digital age is at the ready offering a plethora of easier, quicker, shallower, more individualistic options. So church, what happens if we don't succeed at this? Well, Paul talks about it, immaturity. We just end up perpetually immature. But what happens when we do, if, if we do pivot and get this and practice it well? Growth. Maturity. When each part is working properly, Paul says, then we actually grow up to maturity. The body grows itself up in love. So what we need to realize today, as we get out of here and as we worship and as we go and as we pray through this, life in community is at the heart of the Christian story because the gospel changes who we are only because it changes who we belong to. And that is the most beautiful part of this whole gospel that we're missing right now, I think, in the Western context. And I am convinced, church, that for us, one of the most profound impacts we can have in our city, wherever we are, in our neighborhood and in our culture, even with COVID, is that we commit and practice Christ-centered community as a family. All right, so as we pray and as we reflect, let me ask you a couple questions. How is the Lord using this strange season to maybe call you out? To ecclesia you. <laughs> to actually call you out of those private spaces into the public domain to be together in community. How is the Lord using this season to do that? Have you even noticed that he's doing that? Because he's doing it. He's doing it everywhere. How has God gifted you to serve in the building up of his body? The maturation and the growing of his body. How has God gifted you to serve those inside and outside the church? And to just go out and live radically generous lives. And how do you need to be equipped right now? How can we build you up? True community isn't found, it's built. So I think it's time for us to build. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that we're invited into the, the perfect team, the perfect community of you, a perfect love of self-giving of all that you have as Father, Son, and Spirit, and that we're invited into that. I just pray, uh, Spirit, that you would, you would encourage us, you would convict us, you would draw our eyes off of some of the things that honestly are just so discouraging and frustrating right now about this season. That you just renew our vision, renew our eyes. Give us sight to see what it is that you are doing and what you are calling us to. We love you and we ask that you would do that work to make much of yourself, not us. That, Lord, we would just honestly live our entire life to preach, preach the gospel, live the gospel out, and then die and be forgotten for your glory. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.